Paleo Runner podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click ratings and reviews. You can also follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates to use as a fuel source. Unlike sugary sports drinks, 3Fuel gets absorbed slowly into your bloodstream to give you sustained energy throughout your workout. If you'd like to give it a try, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening through the podcast app on iPhone, click the link displayed on the app right now. My guest today is Olympian Aaron Caparo. Aaron competed for the United States in the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing and in the 2012 Olympics in London, where she and her teammates brought home the gold medals in the Women's 8 event. Aaron, it's a pleasure to have you part of the show. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Aaron. So, Aaron, you have two gold medals in the Women's 8 event. Tell me a little bit about how you got started with the sport of rowing. Um, yeah, so rowing is, especially for, you know, a girl from California um, on the West Coast, it's it, uh, becoming more popular. But I uh, grew up in the Central Valley of California in a little farm town called Modesto and had never heard of rowing um, before in my life before, uh, you know, I was looking into college. So my sports were track and field and basketball, pretty much. Um, and so got around to my junior year. And I really wanted to play basketball in college, but I had a uh, had a bad year um, uh, my junior year. So I, you know, was was looking at um, schools that I didn't really want to go to, <laughs> were the only ones that were interested. Um, so then I decided to just, you know, go apply to other schools through academics, and um, I got into UC Berkeley and. I had also watched the, uh, you know, the Summer Olympics in, in 2000, and somebody had suggested that rowing was a, a big sport that you can kind of just walk onto in college, um, mm. and you can pick, can pick it up, um, you know, pretty easily, and that they also give out scholarships. So that definitely pushed my parents <laughs> into pushing me to uh, try it out, but it um, worked out. It just happened to be that um, UC Berkeley had one of the best rowing programs and coaches in the country. So that was that was a little bit of a luck of the draw. Um, but okay. that's how I pretty much got started. So was it something that you picked up right away? I mean, you just you did you have to try out for the team, or how did that work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. So there are um, trials. Well, I guess in in college we're called walk-ons. Mm-hmm. And so there's probably, you know, 30 to 40 max. Well, sometimes actually at big schools like Michigan, they get like, you know, 60, 70 girls um, trying out, trying to be a, a walk on to make a team. Um, and there is a big attrition rate, and it's usually not from the coaches actually cutting people, but it's from people not wanting to wake up or work out that hard or, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't really understand what they signed up for. But okay. um, for my class, there was, you know, there's a handful of walk-ons, um, and that's how... Um, you know, basically I got started was I was just a walk on and, um, you know, worked hard, um, and was pretty darn stubborn. And I don't really like to, um, I don't like not being good at something. So I just 
kept so, doing it. <laughs> so did you get your scholarship your first year or did it take a few no, years? Okay. No, it definitely took a few years. Okay. Um, what, was yeah. the, what was the training like compared to coming from sports like basketball where it seems, I'm I'm not sure, but it seems like there's more skill involved in basketball where rowing, it seems like it, it'd be more just a single motion. Was the training a lot different? Um, yes, completely. The, um, the thing that really drew me to rowing and um, kind of commits me to stick it out was in sports like basketball or, you know, football for that matter, or, um, you know, some of these game sports that are, that are highly skilled, like lacrosse or soccer. Um, it was harder for me. A lot of times, you know, growing up, I wasn't, I'm not a natural athlete. We'll just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And it takes me a long time to, to kind of adapt and pick up something. And so I was, I was always okay. And I would work really hard and, you know, not, you know, ever, ever give up on anything, but I was never the best at anything, you know, any of those game sports that I, that I had chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that kind of resonated me with me with rowing is, especially when you're younger and you can recover quickly, the more effort I put in, you know, the more um, training I did, extra training I did, you know, just the more uh, concentration I had to on the skill. So there is a bit of skill in there on, on the rowing stroke. Okay. The, uh, it was just this good return ratio. Like I, the more, the better, more I did, the better I got. Mm. And I'm sure that's the same way with any of those game sports as well. But whether, you know, I think it was a lot of the people I was surrounded by on my team at Cal. Um, they kind of showed me the way. I think I just really didn't know how to work hard um, until I got to college. Okay. Okay. So what kind of, how long are, are the events that you're doing last? And do you focus on just one event in, in rowing or do you do multiple? Um, so the, every single boat, um, no matter if it's the eight, um, the pair, which is two people or, you know, the single, um, which is one person going down all by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we all race 2000 meters. So that's the Olympic distance, okay. um, or world championships or whatnot. Um, so, you know, depending on how big the boat is, the faster you go, there's more momentum that you, that you get more horsepower in the boat to make, um, to make it kind of get up to speed. And, and it glides out easier. So the women's eight event takes about, you know, right now it's under six minutes is the world record. Um, okay. And the world record for the women's single is, I believe, around, you know, low seven minutes. Okay. So that's, you know, that's quite significant. And it's in the world of, um, you know, what is that middle middle distance? I guess that would be considered like in track and field. Right. You know, it's a whole minute extra of work for somebody in a smaller boat. So typically the people that are in the bigger boats are just fitter, um, not fitter, sorry, uh, but uh, just more power based. OK, um, they have to be more, you know, explosive and, and they're stronger, and especially in the sweep events, um, which now I'm just getting into the nitty gritty of <laughs> rowing. Um, sweep means that the person is rotating off to one side of the boat or the other and they have a bigger blade face. So they're just picking up more um, water just with one blade versus sculling, which is what you see that the classical rowing that you, you would normally see. They have two oars and their blade face, the, you know, the part that goes in the water that usually has, you know, the fancy country's design on, on the end. Those um, are about half the size, but they have two of them. So that takes a little bit more coordination. So 
sculling is said to be more skill and sweeping is said to be more, you know, just raw fitness and strength. Um, so you, you typically specialize in not only, you know, sculling or sweeping. So, um, I specialized in sweeping, but you also specialize in what boat class. Um, and I did a little bit of the pair, the woman's pair. So it was myself and, you know, one other pair partner. And then I also, I did that quite a bit in the world championships. Um, but then, you know, both years in 2008 and 12 went back into the eight. Okay. Uh, and in so. the eight, there's, there's, is there someone always kind of directing you at, towards the front of your boat? Yeah. So that's, that's the plus that you always see. Okay. After, um, when you see women's eight or men's eight plus, okay. that they, they get a plus. So there's actually nine people on the boat, but they, is, is that a coach or is, or is that someone on the team? Um, How does that work? I would say they're, they're, in the middle. Mm -hmm. So they are there to support the teammates. Um, and, but they are also there to be like the coach in the boat. Um, there, there's a weight minimum. So if they weigh any less than that amount, they have to carry dead weight in the boat just to make it even. Mm -hmm. Um, for women, it's 110 pounds. So typically you don't want to get anybody any bigger than that because it is, you know, dead weight. Um, I don't like saying that to them, nor do they like (laughs) hearing that, but, um, you know, they, they don't contribute physically, but they definitely are, are, um, heads in the boat. So that's, that's kind of the interesting part about the eight, um, with the coxswain in there is what we call them. The okay. little, um, how important are they to, to the whole process of guiding the boat or, or are, are they telling you how you're doing? Are they watching the other, your competition? Yeah, what what well, exactly like do I, they do? Like I said, the eight is the only boat that has a coxswain in it. So the other boats, you know, make it down the course. Somehow, um, they basically <laughs> have, um, you know, I've done a, a ton of smaller boat work. And so one of the people in the boat steers with their foot that's connected to the rudder on the boat. Um, but you know, that, that takes a little bit away, a little bit of, um, you know, mental energy away mm-hmm. from what you're doing. And also when there is no coxswain in the boat, one of the people in the boat is the coxswain. So while you're at, you know, pegged at heart rate 190 or plus down, down the course, somebody is trying to call the race. Granted, it's, it's very sparse in words, you would hope, because you would hope that they would put more energy into, uh, you know, the power and uh, whatnot getting down the course. But that is the advantage of having a coxswain is that you don't have to talk. You don't have to steer. You don't have to worry about where anybody else is. They're your eyes and head um, for the race. And so typically that's why the eight goes so much it, it goes pretty fast, you know, um, just because you can concentrate just on one thing. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that, um, one of the things you really liked about rowing is that it seemed like the amount of training that you would put in, you would see, um, you could see kind of how your progress was going. Ta- talk to me a little bit about how much training is actually necessary to reach that top level. How much time are you spending out on the water and, and, um, what, what is the training like? Yeah. Well, this is the, um, this is the beautiful debate and especially, you know, being with the founder of CrossFit Endurance, um, you know, I can, I kind of can see both sides and, and play devil's advocate on both sides. But we, um, 
as uh, he, he bluntly put it. Basically, rowers train more mileage than marathon runners. Right. Yet, is that, you said, is that Brian that you're talking Brian, about? Brian, yeah. Brian McKenzie. Yeah. yeah, he was on yeah. a few months ago. Yeah. So, um, but yet we have a race that is about, you know, the same distance as a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a mile 1,600 meters were 2,000 meters. So, and it takes anywhere from, you know, six to eight minutes to finish the race. Right. Um, so there is some, you know, discrepancy in there and, and what, um, you know, these rowing coaches believe is, is the most effective and they all subscribe. I would say 99.9 of them subscribe to a, a high volume, um, training plan, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, the higher the volume, the fitter, the better you are. Okay. Rather than focusing on skill and power. Um, mm-hmm. we only really concentrated on skill and power. Um, I would say 10% would be generous. <laughs> okay. At the time. So it's, it sounds similar to like a long distance runner would train. It sounds like you're putting in a ton of volume trying to, I guess, create that aerobic engine. And then um, are you also doing intervals and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. No. So that, I mean, to be fair, we do do a lot of interval based training and, you know, you, we monitored by heart rates, keeping it, you know, within a certain heart rate. Um, and then we have zone training, you know, on, mm-hmm. um, and specific and I, and you know, it gets, it's a little more complicated than just, a bunch of volume mm-hmm. it's specific amounts of time and you know certain heart rate heart rate zones but that just goes to the fact that you know there's not i mean when we would work on skill it would be that would be recovery row okay. when we were already pretty beat to hell and um taxed and so same thing with a lot of the power that would typically come after you know the weights would come after the volume mm-hmm. um so it was never a priority um and for the most part row the people that are successful at rowing are bigger people. Okay. Um, yeah, it's bigger uh, and more powerful. They, you know, the women. Um, I would say I just went out, actually out to the training camp um, this week, and I would say they average above six foot. So I would say they're probably averaging six one right now, wow. and um, okay. you know, one seventy five. Mm-hmm. Even though they probably to two hundred. Um, so they're they are big women, um, and the guys, you know, it's a leverage sport so the taller you are the easier it is um supposedly i don't know i've never been that tall so <laughs> how tall are you i'm five nine okay on the dot okay so um which is not short especially you know in this new crossfit world that i've uh, been hanging around uh-huh. i'm actually the tall one but um you know five nine compared to six one or six four is uh, quite a significant difference right so what is your take on on the vol- high volume approach that a lot of your coaches have employed um well, you know, for one, I can't complain. It got me two gold medals, right? Mm-hmm. So who am I to say that it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Um, but I know everybody else uh, was doing the same exact thing, even if, you know, they had a little bit more strength or Olympic lifting or whatnot, um, or even more skill work involved. They were all um, subscribing to a high volume um, model. But in seeing and just kind of being a student of um, sport and other, you know, looking at other sports and how they are successful. And, you know, it's ironically, you know, sports with more money have more money to um, there's more people willing to go kind of outside of the fringe to to break in, you know, rather than people just doing all the same thing. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know. And rowing is kind of like follow the leader. 
Okay. okay. I, uh, if I was ever to go back, I would, you know, not want to do it the same way and mm-hmm. it might fail miserably, you know? Um, but there's also the argument that you do have to have, you know, a, a certain cardiovascular base, but at what cost does it, does it come? What cost does that high volume come? To, I, I definitely suffered quite a few injuries throughout my rowing career. So, mm. you know, for some people, it might be, that might be the way to go because mm-hmm. they're, you know, a fast switch power based athlete. But for other people, um, you know, a skill power-based training might be more effective. Okay. So that's my um, PC answer. Yeah. So at what point did you did you think that you might have a shot of going to the Olympics and possibly winning the gold? Let's see. I guess this will kind of segue into how I got into CrossFit. Um, I, you know, rode in college and then joined the U.S. national team on uh, in 2006. And then I was kind of on the fringe or just on the on the cusp of um, making an, an Olympic class boat. It just wasn't um, just wasn't strong enough, you know, uh, with the the scores that you you pull on the rowing machines or in the boat. Um, I just wasn't competitive enough, and so. I, um, you know, at that point I was like, you know, I really want to make the Olympics, but I don't know. I'm going to give it my best shot, but I never, you know, I, I was never one of those kids thinking or dreaming of going to the Olympics. Cause like I said before, I was never, you know, the most athletic one. I just like to compete. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the fall of 2007, so the fall of uh, the Olympic year, I decided to kind of take on something new and a little bit different. I knew I had to um, do something different than I did the previous, you know, year and a half in order to make this boat. Um, and so I just kind of took a little bit of personal responsibility and uh, searched around with the help of my brother for a strength and conditioning program. And he um, kind of turned me on to CrossFit and he would send me over programming or you know, help me program um, on top of the training that I was already doing um, for, you know, this is the full time training program that the coach would give us, mm-hmm. assuming that, you know, we weren't going to have the energy to do anything else. But I was young. I was still, you know, what, 20 something young 20s. And so I was recovering quickly. Um, and so I added, you know, strength based uh, interval type of programming, um, variable inter- interval programming to um, my already full time training um, rowing training. And that helped me, um, by, you know, the spring of the Olympic year, I definitely was reaping in the results. I was way more competitive and all my scores were, had gone down significantly. So mm. that was when I really kind of note thought I, I have a chance at this and going to give it a go. Okay. So you use CrossFit. Is that what you, what you mean by your interval based, uh, strength training? Yep. Was CrossFit endurance around at that time? Um, or was this I just, think I just started? I okay. Think you guys started in 2007. You guys started in 2006, right? What? CrossFit Endurance. No, we started in 2000. We started the program in 2007, but Affiliate got the name 2008. Oh, so I was, yeah, this was before CrossFit Endurance. Okay. I was, I was the OG CrossFit Endurance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, you saw pretty significant changes after using that program. Yeah, I mean that was that was my hole, you know. Like I was saying before, some some people really don't have a, a tough time with um, you know strength or skill, um, but I was having trouble with both. So just kind of attacked my weakness um, with CrossFit, and it it worked. Okay. 
So you, you've also become known for uh, trying out, or I don't know if you've, you're, you're known for this, but I, I know that you use a paleo-style diet. Can you tell me a little bit about about what kind of diet you use for your training and if that's helped you at all? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm definitely known for my my interesting eating habits on the on the rowing team. I guess okay. that's fair to say. <laughs> um, you know, same thing, typical and you know endurance. Um, and I I even did it too in college. You know, you carbo loaded. You went out to Italian food right. the night before a race. Of course, why not? You mm-hmm. just you need all that energy. You need to store it. Um, so I was there, um, and then you know I had read in subscribing to you know this this CrossFit CrossFit ideal. Um, I, um, I had saw this thing called zone and paleo and this guy named Rob Wolf kind of pop up. Um, and so I had read into it, but you know, I was seeing all these big changes, um, just in adding CrossFit. So I was like, I don't need to tweak my nutrition that much. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But then, um, this past quad, so I decided to come back and, and do another, do another round, um, and I was pretty good until about 2010, I guess it was. I, you know, my body was starting, I wasn't recovering as quick as I uh, used to. Mm-hmm. So I guess the age was catching up with me. So I decided to start playing with my nutrition and the um, paleo diet and, you know, first just cutting out all types of uh, gluten and then dialing it in um, more strict than from there. But mm-hmm. um the biggest change, I guess, came in 2011, the fall of 2011. Um, I actually had to miss out on the world championships the year before the Olympics, which is, which is a big one because that's where you qualify to go to the Olympics. And mm-hmm. thankfully, you know, you just, you qualify the boat and not the people. So I still had a chance, but, um, my recovery was going, you know, was going way down. I couldn't keep weight on. Um, the coach just kept on telling me to just eat more. Um, but I knew that wasn't the answer because mm-hmm. that also wasn't working either. So I was trying to keep the quality of food high, but um, finally, you know, I circled back around with uh, Brian McKenzie and he, I kind of talked uh, about this problem to him and he said, well, we need to up your fat. And I mm-hmm. was like, well, I don't want to get fat. I just want to, <laughs> you know, stay muscular. And he's like, no, fat doesn't make you fat. And, it, you know, it was kind of a scary concept at first eating, uh-huh. you know, all this bacon and, you know, spoonfuls of coconut oil and everything because you're just so brainwashed to think you know fat on a nutrition facts equals you know fat on on you right. um but that's that's not the case especially when you use these high quality fats um yeah. meaning you know like coconut oil um you know natural animal fats that you know is good and um nuts and we can go down, we can go down a list, avocados, all, oils, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, did that, got stronger, was able to maintain, um, a decent weight, um, but also, you know, kept my body fat under, I think it was right around 10% or under, which is, which is right where you want to be for rowing. You don't really want to be much lower because you want to buffer your nervous system, but you also need some weight to, to throw around, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but, you know, I was probably, I was probably one of the leanest ones on the team um and strength weight ratio was one of the top ones um, that's, for sure that's great so you're you're the one who's spooning uh coconut oil and eating bacon and you're the leanest one on the team that's, yeah right? that's that's funny but that's how it works yeah. Um, so, so, what, so what kind of changes did you see when you started adding some more fat to your diet? Well, thankfully, um, Brian also and was creating um, with 
a couple of other guys, you know, creating a supplement called three fuel, Mm -hmm. um, in my training. Um, I guess they started, you know, that in the fall of 2000, they technically started it. Well, I guess in the summer of 2012, but, um, I was fortunate enough to be one of the Guinea pigs. Um, and so they, I was, I was using the stuff, you know, all through the spring and summer of 2012. And what it is, is it, you know, there's protein in there. It's a, it's a very quick digesting protein, but it does have coconut fat in there mm-hmm. in the form of a, a coconut powder, right. coconut milk powder. And so when you start eating this cleaner diet without, you know, so much, um, such high carbohydrate, um, your body actually learns to use fat as fuel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we can go into the, um, the numbers of it, but pretty much, you know, your body stores 40,000 kcals of fat and, um, at one time and your body can only store 2,000 kcals of glycogen. Right. Um, at one time. So if you are running off of fat, you are going to last a lot longer and not have those, you know, peaks and valleys, which is the enemy to any training. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, that's what I found with, you know, the three fuel and getting that um, into my system. I could, you know, even if we're out on the water for like two hours plus, if I had a shake out there with me or even took it before, I would be good to go where these other girls would bonk and, um, you know, they would be having these goo chomps and, you know, <laughs> cliff shots and all those yummy tasting things. <laughs> right. But um, still, they just, they constantly, they had to like almost take a lunchbox out there with them. <laughs> well, yeah, that's one of the great things that I found too with, with I originally started with the paleo diet, but then adding some more fat is, it's it doesn't seem like you get as hungry as often. And, but then it, it kind of, I wasn't quite sure how to feel during the run and, and finding out three feel, uh, that really has helped me a lot in my training. Um, nice. What 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 was that? Were you involved in the process of creating that process? Or were yeah, you just a guinea um, pig? How did that I work? I was pretty I was pretty much the guinea pig at that point. Um so I you know, they were um experimenting with this this HDP waxing maze, which is the the thermocarb ingredient. You know, there is carbohydrates. That's why it's called three fuel. There's the three macronutrients in there. So this thermocarb is, it's a um, slow digesting carbohydrate that pretty much acts like a fiber. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not going to <clears throat> give you that flood of energy, like, you know, a, a goo chomp or cliff shot or whatever those things are called would be right away. It basically... You know, it supports your system and that it's just like a fibrous. It'll slowly digest, but it'll still give you the, the good energy that carbohydrates do give you. Um, and so I was uh, experimenting with just taking that and literally Brian would give me a Ziploc bag, like of a pound or two of it. And it, I would take this into the training um, facility. We we're in San Diego, the Olympic training facility. And I was scared I was going to get in trouble because <laughs> this white, like powdery substance. And everybody's like, what are you taking? I'm like, no, don't worry about it. So that was the original, um, that was the original formula, I guess you could say. It was just that stuff. But um, it thankfully progressed from there because it, it tasted like paste. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so Aaron, uh, what have you been up to lately? I mean, you've got two gold medals under your belt. What what are you up to now? Yeah, right. I'm I'm retired now. <laughs> um, I am doing just a little bit of everything. Um, 
you know, this spring, probably around, I think it was April or May, um, I pretty much created a job. I, I wrote to, you know, Brian and the guys at 3Fuel and saying, you know, I, I was, you know, one of their first spokeswomen for it, you know, and supporters. And I was like, hey, you guys need help running this company because they were pretty much only providing it to their athletes mm-hmm. and using it for themselves. <laughs> and so it was, you know, they that was what they originally wanted, created it for because there was nothing on the market that they could they could uh, recommend to their athletes or actually want to take themselves. So um, that was kind of the humble beginnings of it. But I, I was like, well, why why we should share this with more people because I think they would enjoy it as well. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of been my, um, that's been scratching my competitive itch, I guess, um, okay. as of lately is just pretty much helping all the operations and, and ins and outs of uh, three fuel and, you know, okay. I don't have any classically trained business experience, but I um, know how to work hard and I, you know, mm-hmm. problem solve. So that, that gets you a long way. Yeah. How about with athletics? Are you still uh, doing CrossFit and are you going to be rowing in the future? Um, rowing, I think I, I think I'm pretty satisfied with my rowing career. I, um, you know, it's, it's one of those sports where actually, you know, in the U.S., you have to be, um, around other people that row, you know, at a high, um, that are highly skilled as well. That's the only way you're really going to get better, I think, unless, you know, somehow you're extremely mov- motivated. But I have I have uh, yet to see somebody who can really succeed without having somebody else, um, without having the foundation to have, you know, other teammates push them um, or be or learn from teammates, you know. Um, so the training camp is over in Princeton, New Jersey, and I'm a California girl. I kind of want to, um, you know, I wanted to just move on to the next challenge in California <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to kind of put it all in one sentence. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I, I'm good with rowing. Um, with CrossFit, I don't know. You know, it's it's another competitive thing that I, you know, I'm not extremely good at. I would say I'm, I'm a club athlete for uh, CrossFit. Okay. But, um I don't know. Maybe if I if I get that itch again, it, it might I might try to scratch it with CrossFit. <laughs> okay. But uh, we'll see. Right now, I'm I'm pretty uh, concentrated on just the refuel and you know being a contributing part of society. Yeah. So, Aaron, it's been great talking with you today. Where can people go to find out more about you or follow you online? Are you on uh, Facebook or Twitter? You know, Facebook. I have Aaron Cafaro page. Okay. Twitter, I believe it's just at Aaron Cafaro. Um, but I mean, you can find me. I'm one of the ambassadors as well on threefuel.com, and it's three f u three l dot com. There's we threw in another three just to throw a curveball at people. <laughs> but um, that's pretty much where you'll find me. Just awesome. sitting in the three fuel landia right now. <laughs> great, great. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you today, and thanks so much for being part of the show. Thanks, Aaron. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner podcast. For more information, go to paleorunner.org. Thanks for listening.